Welcome to the Clinical Research Podcast, bringing you the latest developments in research explained by our world-leading clinicians, academics and scientists based in Nottingham. When you Google photos of clinical researchers, you tend to get a lot of men in white coats looking down microscopes or possibly doing things involving pipettes and petri dishes, and generally they look as though they're probably meant to be medics. But increasingly, clinical research doesn't have to involve either microscopes or medics, and more researchers are people like physios, OTs, nurses, midwives and other therapists, often collectively known as the Allied Health Professionals, or AHPs. I talked to Vicky Booth, one of three AHP clinical academic leads at Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust, about how she's been involved in setting up fellowships to encourage other non-medics into research, and asked her about what first piqued her own interest. My whole research kind of portfolio started off with me treating dementia patients in the Falls Clinic that used to be over at City Hospital, um, that I've had this I still remember the chap came in and um I'd given him the exercises I'd done everything that I would normally do with my other falls patients and it just wasn't working with him and his wife came in the next time and just said I can't get him to do the exercises it's just so difficult I have to literally stand over him and tell him to do them so all the mechanisms that we had for our non-cognitively impaired people where you'd give them a set of exercises tell them to do it and then they'd mostly do them just didn't work for this chap and it's like why is this not working and it's so I knew that when somebody had a cognitive impairment you had to do more but the service wasn't always kind of set up for that and we didn't have the guidelines for that we didn't have the support to support me as a physiotherapist delivering that for that patient so as clinicians we know what the what the problems are and what the right kind of research questions are too um so we're the ones that should be doing the research on it <laughs> i'm just trying to get at your thought process because you said that was a sort of almost like a light bulb moment for you about this was how we could do it so to so you found out from his wife that he wasn't he just wasn't taking enough time or how did that evolve into a like almost a formal research question i suppose yeah so what what that kind of highlighted was that there were challenges to the kind of the standard interventions that we were giving our falls patients and that we needed to know more about well actually why was it more difficult for this particular person and that's quite often how a lot of research starts with that one kind of case study or that kind of one light bulb moment or that kind of that new that new case or that new um condition that somebody comes across um, and so that kind of in a way that didn't spark my project what that sparked was my frustration and my wanting to know more about what the evidence was and why there wasn't the evidence in that area so that kind of sparked me on my journey of getting further qualified in research methods so that I would be able to do that project I would be able to kind of go back and and kind of look further um does that answer your question yeah yeah it, it does absolutely and I guess that's then led you to where you are now and so moving on to talk about the fellowships I guess that's a way a way of saying how can we 
spread that practice how can we get more people involved like that yeah so at NUH our research and innovation department are really supportive of non-medical researchers and and early career researchers in those allied health professionals nursing and midwives so we as clinical academic leads along with our institute of nursing and midwifery excellence colleagues approached rni about getting some kind of pump priming funding for four of our non-medics to be able to have some research time to be able to pursue some of those activities that they need to be doing as, as early career researchers, but with clinical time and working full time clinically, they don't necessarily have as much time um, to be able to be doing that. So that little bit of seed funding in a way to give them that bit of head start. So in, we've worked in collaboration with the Institute and with our nursing midwifery colleagues kind of all the way along. We've got a really strong collaboration um, as a group of non-medic researchers and research leads in the trust. And so um, we approached R&I for that funding and they, they agreed. And so it was a bit of a, of a kind of pilot one-off to see what would happen and to see how, how it would go. Um, and it was incredibly successful, which we're, we're really pleased about and are currently in the phase of just reviewing and evaluating it. Because what we want to do is to be able to say, OK, well, with X amount of money, look at what your non-medical researchers can do with it. It's often with clinical research, people tend to think it's to do with the, you know, people looking at stuff down a microscope, cellular things or imaging or that. And this sounds a lot more real world than practical. Yeah. So within the trust, we're getting more um, healthcare professionals, so more non-medical researchers gaining their research qualifications. So a lot of them a lot of people have, have got research masters or got masters in research methods. Um, and we've had a steady rise in numbers of non-medics gaining their PhD qualification as well. And so we want them to stay in the trust because we want them to be doing their research within the trust. They're clinicians by background, so they're the perfect people to be doing clinically focused research. And so the idea came from trying to give those postdocs a bit of time and, and kind of funding within the trust to do their clinically focused research. So what typically happens and what has happened in the past is that because there hasn't been any of that support or any of those pathways um, for clinical academics, for non-medical clinical academics, somebody has that frustration as a clinician does some research training and then goes into an academic institution. And what we want is those really valuable people to be in our organisations doing the research within our patient populations, getting the benefit of having not only that study, but also kind of that whole culture of research within the organisation as well. So let's talk just briefly-ish about the, the four fellows who've had this year and what's their projects and how did they come to those as just as examples? We had four fellows and um, we had two nurses and two allied health professionals. So our nursing colleagues was um, a lady called Deborah Ashton, who her research is within respiratory, which was really fortunate for the, for the past year, kind of lots of respiratory research going on in the trust. Um, and a chap called Taka 
Marufu. Um, who works in the children's hospital and is really interested in pathways around kind of complex um, discharges. Um, so discharging complex patients. And then our two allied health professionals are a chap called Paul Matthews, who um, is a musculoskeletal physiotherapist and has done a lot of work on ankle fractures. Um, and our fourth was a lady called Carolyn Costigan, who is a diagnostic radiographer who has um, done phenomenal work in, in her area and about really encouraging research radiography. There's a lot of research radiography that happens within the trust. So they were given a half, well, a, a day a week over, over 12 months to be able to focus on building up their research portfolio. So about looking about submitting a grant or a fellowship application about taking on research responsibilities within the trust so become a principal investigator so they had to undertake the training to become a principal investigator which is very difficult in a pandemic when nobody is delivering training so they did very well all, all four of them got got that training um, they also had to um, act as a mentor or a supervisor for somebody else so there's that thought is that as an early career researcher, you're not only doing your own research, you're kind of building up people to support that research, kind of growing and building. So they had to take on that kind of super, supervisory or kind of mentorship role. And we also wanted them, so the fourth kind of outcome was about developing a network with a local um, education institute. So either by getting a honorary appointment or by getting a academic appointment which is is quite difficult to get so those kind of honorary appointments are kind of the, the way that we go through so they had those four um objectives which they were really focused on because we knew that 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 if we give them quite targeted focuses that that we'd be able to say yes they've done it or no they haven't they and they picked a hell of a year to do it didn't they <laughs> really how did they get their pi experience we started off with the training and the training actually got cancelled three times so we arranged it three times and we actually worked with the clinical research network in in the east midlands to deliver the first virtual um principal investigator training which they then use that as a blueprint and have kind of been delivering virtual training as well well i was just going to say because the assumption often is that if it's a pi or somebody instigating research it's going to be a medic isn't it because that's sort of historically been the case what do you think that what would you say to somebody who isn't a medic but maybe has a kernel of a half-formed idea about something or just a general idea that they would like to see what this research thing is all about yeah so there are loads of opportunities and um you, you quite correctly that a lot of um principal investigators are consultants are medics because a lot of the research that happens is about drugs or about medical devices which you do need that that consultant or that medical qualification but there's so much research that could be done and should be done outside of that so one of my specialisms is within rehabilitation and as a physiotherapist by background it's the physiotherapist that lead that rehabilitation so why should we not be leading those research trials in developing knowledge and building the evidence base around the, the, the practices that we're doing every day 
So there's there's lots of opportunities for people to get into research, um, so kind of research delivery roles, and that's something within the trust that we're looking at as well. And that's something that our nursing colleagues have really led the way in. So people like Joe Cooper and Louise Bramley have really kind of been doing so such fantastic work at building up those research delivery roles, but also looking at how researchers can also be research leaders as well and how non-medics can be research leaders. So again, following the footsteps of our nursing colleagues as um, an allied health professional clinical academic lead, we've been looking at how we can get physiotherapists and occupational therapists and speech and language therapists and that whole array of allied health professionals doing some of those research delivery roles. So that's kind of one way into it. But then you also have this big kind of training element as well about getting your master's or your PhD or an MPhil um, and then kind of post PhD postdocs and, and those kind of things. So there's lots of opportunities for that kind of research leadership, but then also that kind of just doing research on the ground and being part of studies. Um, and one thing that we always encourage our um, AHP colleagues to think about is that a lot of the work that they're doing is fundamentally based in research. They're either doing evidence-based practice or they're reading guidelines about what they should be doing in practice or they're kind of getting their journal that drops through the door every every month that talks about kind of the latest studies that are going on so things like journal clubs or kind of reading um just reading the kind of the magazines and the the journals that come through but they're also doing a lot of audits or kind of service evaluations where they're testing things or trying things out that have come from from evidence which isn't classically research but actually that's kind of where that kernel of an idea comes from and that it can kind of build and grow from there really um, so at NUH we're really lucky because we've got um, research and innovation here has, has supported non-medical research growth and have appointed an AHP clinical academic lead so there are currently three of us that are sharing that role at the moment so, because we're all kind of doing our own research and our own things too um, but at NUH we're really lucky to have that sort of leadership to then be able to kind of support people with those kernels of ideas or have those big ambitions about being research leaders themselves. That's brilliant. Thanks, Thanks ever so much, Vicky. Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. There are links in the show notes for more information on clinical research in Nottingham and the website is nuh.nhs.uk forward slash research. Our email and social media links are there too. If you want to stay up to date with the Clinical Research Podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you normally get your podcasts. The more shows are rated and reviewed, the more search engines like them and the easier it is for people to find us. So if you can subscribe and rate and review us, you'll be doing it for science, not just for our egos. Music